of God Knows Where. I'm Brett Harris. We're back today with all new episodes as we begin to look at Sabbath, what it is, what it isn't, and why I think we'd all agree that we need it. I don't know about you, but the last month of the year was an absolute sprint for me, preparing for Christmas, bringing you a daily podcast for the first time, closing out the year at my day job. It was full speed ahead. So here at the beginning of the year, I want to look at slowing down, regrounding, returning to a more stable and sustainable pace of life. And I think the best way to do that is to look at the example God set for us in the stories of our tradition by taking time to take a breather. We're not going to start our look at Sabbath on that seventh day, the first day that God rested, but many, many years later, on a day when the ancestors of our faith were faced with a choice, a life or death choice, to follow that God of rest. So I hope you enjoy. Thanks for making the first year of God Knows Where such fun and such a success. I'm not sure what your New Year's resolutions or intentions may be, but I'd be lying if I didn't say I hope one of them is to tell someone new about God Knows Where. Send them a link to your favorite episode. Direct them to our website. Share a reel or an episode with folks on social media. The more, the merrier as far as I'm concerned. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Should we stay or should we go? One Sunday afternoon back in high school, I was outside mowing the yard when my dad came out to tell me the girl I was dating at that time was on the phone. I walked into the house, sort of out of breath, picked up the phone and asked her how she was. She said she was fine and asked me what I was doing and I told her I was in the middle of mowing the lawn. And there was silence. And it lasted long enough to make me ask her if she was still there. She said, you know, you're not supposed to work on Sundays. And had I stopped to think about what she was saying, I would have known that she wasn't completely wrong. But I didn't take time to think. Instead, I spouted off pretty sarcastically, well, what if I don't think it's work? And as you might imagine, we shared few, if any more, dates after that. But Sabbath is this truly revolutionary idea, this unique understanding of our relationship to and with time and with God. And we regularly turn it into this list of do's and don'ts and blue laws and judgments, or even worse, we ignore it altogether and work relentlessly until we crack and collapse. And whether we're into Sabbath or not, we play all kinds of gymnastics with what it means to rest and what it means not to work. We pick and choose and make Sabbath this orientation toward time and energy and effort that God bakes into the rhythm of life, whatever we want it to be, and not what it is. It would be really easy for me to say to you, and this series would be a lot shorter if I did, that Sabbath is a requirement. But it never has been. It's always been an invitation. We'll get into that more in the next episode, but I want us to start looking at Sabbath this way, as an invitation we accept or decline to our own consequence or reward. We're invited to rest and retreat and find renewal. God invites us to step out of time, at least as we keep it, and experience life the way God does, with God by our side. God 
always invites. God always lets us choose. And it's what we choose that makes the difference in our lives. And that's never more clear than in the fifth and sixth chapters of Exodus. It's a long reading, so I didn't share it at the top of the episode, but I'll summarize it for you now. The Israelites have been tasked with making bricks for Pharaoh's construction efforts. They're brought straw every day to mix with clay and make these bricks. It's back-breaking work. God tells Moses and Aaron to bring the people on a little retreat, a respite from their work to commune with God in the wilderness. And so they do what good employees do, and they ask Pharaoh for time off. And he does what horrible bosses do and says, absolutely not. And he goes a step further. Because of this perceived laziness, Pharaoh now demands that the Israelites go and get their own straw each day and continue to make the same amount of bricks each day as when they'd been brought the straw. So less time, fewer resources, same results. The Israelites are upset, not surprisingly at the extra work, but more so with Moses and Aaron. If they just kept their mouths shut, there wouldn't be more work for them to do. So Moses and Aaron go back to God with the people's frustration, and God reminds them who God has been for their ancestors, what God has done for them when they chose to trust and to follow. And God tells Moses and Aaron that if they can convince the Israelites to trust and follow again, God will lead them toward freedom from Pharaoh altogether. No more straw, no more bricks, no more vengeful, vindictive rulers. Freedom. So Moses and Aaron go back to the Israelites. But the Israelites, were told, couldn't believe the invitation because of their broken spirit and cruel slavery. So it would take 10 plagues and a dramatic rescue at the Red Sea for them to finally believe that the God who invited them to rest and find freedom wasn't lying to them. To finally be able to rest and reorient. The Hebrews we read about in Exodus had no control over anything. Not where they lived, not how they worked, or who would lead them. Nothing. They were like many people right now. Maybe like you who earn a minimum wage that is three times less than what it should be if we were to account for productivity and inflation over the years. And that in no way makes ends meet for those who earn that wage. The only thing they knew back then that they could control was how productive they were. And so they worked themselves to death to be productive enough to keep Pharaoh happy and off their case. And like Pharaoh, our society asks the folks producing the materials and the products for our comfort and our wealth to do more with less, while we benefit from more and more. To use their time to make our lives easier, and we force them to make a choice between working more to ease their burdens or taking time to enjoy the brief amount of time we all have, doing what they love and connecting with their families and loved ones and and with God. That's not a choice anyone should have to make. And even if we're not trying to make it on minimum wage, like so many folks around us, we still get lured into the trap of productivity and measuring our worth by our output and clinging to a hope that if we work hard enough, one day we'll get a break instead of reaching out for the hand that will hold us while we rest and only release us when we've been renewed. The most radical thing about Sabbath is that it is a choice, a way of ordering our lives, of doing all we can 
to remember what is good and to make space to prepare for where God will lead us that flies in the face of how we order time and how time is used and discussed everywhere else in the world. And what makes this story in Exodus such a revolutionary one is that in the face of Pharaoh and his power over the lives of God's people, the God of rest prevails. The king who worked the people to death loses. The God who promised freedom and rest and relationship wins. It's the God who rests, who, before deeming any creature or substance holy, tells us that time is holy. It's this God that leads the Israelites to freedom. And in realizing this truth, finally, after fighting it for so long, they found the rhythm instead of monotony, and they found release instead of anxiety, and restoration, not destruction, and renewal instead of exhaustion. They even found resistance, but their resistance led to justice. They became Sabbath people. And we can too. But we have to choose God's invitation instead of Pharaoh's demands. And I think the church missed an opportunity in the wake of the pandemic to choose that invitation. I think all the excitement and energy that surrounded returning to worship and meals and all the things that we loved about church and about gathering as the body after months or even years away, we were so accustomed to the hustle and bustle and programming that we missed a lesson we could have learned. We didn't have to run ourselves ragged with programs and meetings and all we did before the pandemic to be the church. We just need to meet regularly and commune with our God somewhere set apart from the day-to-day world, together with God's people, to slow down and to step away and sit with God. A big part of being the church means remembering God's invitation to set ourselves apart from the society that surrounds us. So as we embark on this journey to learn more about Sabbath, We have to ask ourselves, are we going to choose the life that has us running out the door with a handheld breakfast to get other people where they need to be so we can get to our meetings or classes or groups we're told we need to attend so we can earn enough money to keep the lights on and have a little bit left over so our kids or grandkids can participate in everything there is for kids to participate in every day? and keep a roof over our head with a bed inside that we can lie in every night anxiously waiting to do it all over again? Or are we going to choose a life that is ordered in such a way that we are intentional about what and when and where we say yes to the opportunities before us, and that we're clear about why and when we say no? A life that will give space for us to use our time not to do more, but to be more. To be more present, more available, more connected to each other, and to God. It's not an easy choice. It's a stressful choice. Making the choice will inevitably lead to periods of making bricks for somebody else, even though we know there's a better life ahead, until we can find within us the courage and the faith to stop and to do what we need to do to be the people we are called to be children of God, 
not slaves of Pharaoh, not citizens of any country, not employees of any business, not players or fans of our favorite schools and teams. We are called to be children of God. I mean, ask anybody who's in a healthy relationship with anyone else, parents and their children, spouses, friends, you name it. Ask any of them, what is the one thing they would like more in that relationship? And the answer will always be time. More hours in the day, more time away from all the other things that get in the way of simply being together. That's what God wants with us. That's what God is inviting us into. It's what we've come to call Sabbath. I read an article a while back that outlined how some scientists now believe that the way to add more years to our life is to solve this issue of our resilience to stress the way we can respond better to all the stresses in our life. And I dug a bit deeper and I realized that there wasn't just this one article about this one study, but many claiming that scientists are just now discovering how we can relieve stress by reorienting ourselves to the stressors in our life, namely to our work. They believe that if we can figure out how to be more resilient in the face of stress, then people might be able to live longer, healthier, more active lives than is possible today. They say, we just have to figure out how to do it. We have to figure out the methods and the process for becoming more resilient. Well, thousands upon thousands of years ago, our ancestors made the greatest stride I think we've ever made in improving our resilience to the stresses and struggles of life by following a path that incorporates rest and rejuvenation, by being discerning in how they would use their time, by taking on the revolutionary identity of becoming Sabbath people. It wasn't easy for them. They didn't make that choice right away. In fact, they had to come to it the hard way, through a lot of struggle and a lot of time and a lot of longing for something to be better before they realized they knew how to do it and had been invited into it all along. Sabbath is all about time and how we use it. So in the midst of our resolutions and intentions, let's choose to be Sabbath people this year and define who we are, not by what we accomplish or how much we produce, but by the revolutionary idea that Time is our holiest gift. It's the holiest thing we receive from God. And we should use it as such. So let's stop laying bricks for Pharaoh this year and follow God out into the wilderness to find freedom. God Knows Where is written, produced, and edited by me, Brett Harris, with music by Thomas Steinwinder and Michael Trest, and unwavering support from my wife, Elizabeth. If you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to share God Knows Where with your friends and family, and give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. It'll mean the world to me, and it'll help more people find God Knows Where. 
thanks in advance for your help and for being here and for listening. Until next time, take these words from William Sloan Coffin with you. May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your minds and think through them, and your eyes and see through them, and your hearts and set them on fire.